Chapter Two of The Mystery Girl by Carolyn Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two Miss Mystery Arrives. Anyone who has arrived at the railroad station of a New England village after dark on a very cold winter night, the train late, no one to meet him, and no place engaged for board and lodging will know the desolation of such a situation. New England small railroad stations are much alike. The crowds that alight from the trains are much alike. The people waiting on the platform for the arriving travelers are much alike. But there came into Corinth one night a passenger who was not at all like the fellow passengers on that belated train. It was a train from New York, due in Corinth at 540, but owing to the extreme cold weather and various untoward freezings occasioned thereby, the delays were many and long, and the train drew into the station shortly after seven o'clock. Tired, hungry, and impatient, the travelers crowded out of the train and stamped through the snow to the vehicles awaiting them, or footed it to their nearby homes. The passenger who was unlike the others stepped down from the car platform and, holding her small suitcase firmly, crossed the track and entered the station waiting room. She went to the ticket window but found there no attendant. Impatiently she tapped her little foot on the old board floor, but no one appeared. "'Agent!' she called out, rapping with her knuckles on the window shelf. "'Agent, where are you?' "'Who's there? What do you want?' growled a surly voice, and a head appeared at the ticket window. "'I want somebody to look after me. I'm alone, and I want a porter, and I want a conveyance, and I want some information.' "'Oh, you do. Well, I can't supply porters, nor yet conveyances, but information I may be able to give you.' "'Very well, then,' and a pair of big dark eyes seemed to pierce his very brain. "'Then tell me where I can find the best accommodations in Corinth.' The now-roused agent looked more interestedly at the inquirer. He saw a mere slip of a girl, young, slender, and very alert of manner. Her dark, grave little face was oval and her eyes had a strange, uncanny way of roving quickly about and coming suddenly back, greatly disconcerting the stolid ticket agent. This agent was not unused to girls. A college town is often invaded by hordes of smart young women, pretty girls, and gay hoydens. Many Junes he had sold tickets or given information to hundreds of feminine inquirers, but none had ever seemed quite like this one. "'Best accommodations?' he repeated stupidly. "'You heard me, then. About when do you propose to reply?' Still he gazed at her in silence, running over in his mind the various boarding-houses, and finding none he thought she'd like. "'There's a rule of the railroad company that questions must be answered the same day they're asked,' she said witheringly, and, picking up her suitcase, she started for the door, 
feeling that any one she might find would know more than this dummy. "'Wait! Oh, I say, miss, wait a minute!' "'I did,' she said coolly, proceeding to the door. "'But, oh, hold on. Try old Salt Adams. You couldn't do better.' "'Where is it?' she deigned to pause a moment, and he replied quickly, "'He's right outside. Hurry up out. You can catch him.' Here was something she could understand and she hurried up out, just in time to see an old man with long white beard jump into his sleigh and begin to tuck fur robes about him. He sprang to his sleigh, to his team gave a whistle, she quoted to herself, and then cried out, "'Hey there, Santa Claus, give me a lift!' "'You engaged for our house?' the man called back and as she shook her head he gathered up his reins. "'Can't take anyone not engaged,' he called back. "'Get up!' "'Wait! Wait! I command you!' The sharp, clear young voice rang out through the cold winter air, and old Saltonstall Adams paused to listen. "'Ho, ho!' he chuckled. "'You command me, do you?' Now, I haven't been commanded for something like fifty years. Oh, don't stop to fuss, the girl exclaimed angrily. Don't you see I'm cold, hungry, and very uncomfortable? You have a boarding house. I want board. Now, you take me in. Do you hear? Sure, I hear. But, miss, we've only so many rooms, and they're all occupied or engaged. Some are engaged, but as yet unoccupied? The dark eyes challenged him, and Adams mumbled, Well, that's about it. Very well. I will occupy one until the engager comes along. Let me get in. No, I can manage my suitcase myself. You get my trunk. Here's the check. Or will you send for that tomorrow? Why wait? Might as well get it now. If so be, you're bound to bide. Afraid to wait in the sleigh alone? I'm afraid of nothing, was the disdainful answer, and the girl pulled the fur robes up around her as she sat in the middle of the back seat. Shortly, old Salt returned with the trunk on his shoulder and put it in the front with himself, and they started. "'Don't try to talk,' he called back to her as the horses began a rapid trot. "'I can't hear you against this wind.' "'I've no intention of talking,' the girl replied, but the man couldn't hear her. The wind blew fiercely. It was snowing a little, and the drifts sent feathery clouds through the air. The trees, coated with ice from a recent sleet storm, broke off crackling bits of ice as they passed. The girl looked about, at first curiously and then timidly, as if frightened by what she saw. It was not a long ride, and they stopped before a large house, showing comfortably lighted windows and a broad front door that swung open even as the girl was getting down from the sleigh. "'For the land's sake!' exclaimed a brisk feminine voice. This ain't Letty. 
Who in the earth have you got here?' "'I don't know,' Old Salt Adams replied truthfully. "'Take her along, mother, and give her a night's lodging.' "'But where is Letty? Didn't she come?' "'Now, can't you see she didn't come? Do you suppose I left her at the station, or dumped her out along the road? No, since you will have it, she didn't come. She didn't come.' Old Salt drove on towards the barns, and Mrs. Adams bade the girl go into the house. The landlady followed, and as she saw the strange guest she gazed at her in frank curiosity. "'You want a room, I suppose,' she began. "'But I'm sorry to say we haven't one vacant.' "'Oh, I'll take Letty's. She didn't come, you see, so I can take her room for tonight.' "'Letty wouldn't like that.' "'But I would. And I'm here, and Letty isn't. Shall we go right up? Picking up her small suitcase, the girl started and then stepped back for the woman to lead the way. Not quite so fast, if you please. What is your name? As the landlady's tone changed to a sterner inflection, the girl likewise grew dignified. My name is Anita Austin, she said coldly. I came here because I was told it was the best house in Corinth. Where are you from? New York City. What address? Plaza Hotel. By this time the strange dark eyes had done their work. A steady glance from Anita Austin seemed to compel all the world to do her bidding. At any rate, Mrs. Adams took the suitcase and without a further word conducted the stranger upstairs. She took her into an attractive bedroom, presumably made ready for the absent Letty. "'This will do,' Miss Austin said calmly. "'Will you send me up a tray of supper? I don't want much, and I prefer not to come down to dinner.' "'Land sake! Dinner's over long ago.' You want some tea and bread and butter and preserves and cake? Yes, thank you. That sounds good. Send it in half an hour. To her guest, Mrs. Adams showed merely a face of acquiescence, but once outside the door and released from the spell of those eerie eyes, she remarked to herself, For the land's sake, with great emphasis. "'Well, what do you know about that?' Old Salt Adams cried, when, after she had started him on his supper, his wife related the episode. "'I can't make her out,' Mrs. Adams said thoughtfully. "'But I don't like her, and I won't keep her. Tomorrow you take her over to Belton's.' "'Just as you say. But I thought her kind of interesting-looking.' You can't say she isn't that. Maybe so to some folks, not to me. And Letty'll come along tomorrow, so that girl have to get out of the room. Meanwhile, that girl was eagerly peering out of her window. She tried to discern which were the lights of the college buildings, 
but through the still lightly falling snow she could see but little, and after a time she gave up the effort. She drew her head back into the room just as a tap at the door announced her supper. "'Thank you,' she said to the maid who brought it. "'Set it on the stand, please. It looks very nice.' And then, sitting comfortably in an easy chair, robed in warm dressing gown and slippers, Miss Anita Austin devoted a pleasant half-hour to the simple but thoroughly satisfactory meal. This finished, she wrote some letters. Not many, indeed, but few as they were, the midnight hour struck before she sealed the last envelope and wrote the last address. Then, prepared for bed, she again looked from the window and gazed long into the night. Corinth, she whispered. Oh, Corinth, what do you hold for me? What fortune or misfortune will you bring me? What fortune or misfortune shall I bring to others? Oh, justice, justice, what crimes are committed in thy name? The next morning Anita appeared in the dining room at the breakfast hour. Mrs. Adams scanned her sharply and looked a little disapprovingly at the short, scant skirt and slim, silken legs of her new boarder. Anita, her dark eyes scanning her hostess with equal sharpness, seemed to express an equal disapproval of the country-cut gingham and huge white apron. Not at all obtuse, Mrs. Adams sensed this, and her tone was a little more deferential than she had at first intended to make it. "'Will you sit here, please, Miss Austin?' she indicated a chair next herself. "'No, thank you. I'll sit by my friend.' And the girl slipped into a vacant chair next Saltonstall Adams. Old Salt gave a furtive glance at his wife and suppressed a chuckle at her surprise. "'This is Mr. Tyler's place,' he said to the usurper but I expect he'll let you have it this once. I mean to have it all the time, and Anita nodded gravely at her host. All the time is this one meal only, crisply put in Mrs. Adams. I'm sorry, Miss Austin, but we can't keep you here. I have no vacant room. The entrance of some other people gave Anita a chance to speak in an undertone to Mr. Adams, and she said, "'You'll let me stay till Letty comes, won't you? I suppose you are boss in your own house.' As a matter of fact, almost any phrase would have described the man better than boss in his own house, but the idea tickled his sense of irony, and he chuckled as he replied, you bet i am here you stay as long as you want to you're my friend then and an appealing glance was shot at him from beneath long curling lashes that proved the complete undoing of saltonstall adams to the death he whispered in mock dramatic manner anita gave a shiver what a way to put it she cried I mean to live forever, sir. Doubtless, Old Salt returned placidly. You're a freak, aren't you? 
That isn't a very pretty way of expressing it, but I suppose I am. And a mutinous look passed over the strange little face. In repose the face was oval, serene, and regular of feature. But when the girl smiled or spoke or frowned, changes took place, and the mobile countenance grew soft with laughter or hard with scorn. And scorn was plainly visible when, a moment later, Adams introduced Robert Tyler, a fellow boarder, to Miss Austin. She gave him first a conventional glance, then, as he dropped into the chair next hers, and said, "'Only too glad to give up my place to a peach,' she turned on him a flashing glance that, as he expressed it afterward, wiped him off the face of the earth. Nor could he reinstate himself in her good graces. He tried a penitent attitude, bravado, jocularity, and indifference, but one and all failed to engage her interest or even attention. She answered his remarks with calm, curt speeches that left him baffled and uncertain whether he wanted to bow down and worship her or wring her neck. Old Salt Adams took this all in his amusement giving way to curiosity and then to wonder. Who was this person, who looked like a young, very young girl, yet who had all the mental powers of an experienced woman? What was she, and what her calling? The other boarders appeared, those nearest Anita were introduced, and most of them considered her merely a pretty new guest. Her manners were irreproachable her demeanor quiet and graceful. Yet as Adams covertly watched her, he felt as if he were watching an inactive volcano. The meal over, he detained her a moment in the dining room. "'Why are you here, Miss Austin?' he said courteously. "'What is your errand in Corinth?' "'I am an artist,' she said, looking at him with her mysterious intent gaze or perhaps I should say an art student. I've been told there are beautiful bits of winter scenery available for subjects here, and I want to sketch. Please, Mr. Adams, let me stay here until Letty comes." A sudden twinkle in her eye startled the old man, and he said quickly, "'How do you know she isn't coming?' That in turn surprised Anita, but she only smiled and replied, "'I saw a telegram handed to Mrs. Adams at breakfast, and then she looked thoughtfully at me, and—oh, well, I just sort of knew it was to say Letty couldn't come.' "'You witch! You uncanny thing! If I should take you over to Salem, they'd burn you!' "'I'll ride over on a broomstick some day and see if they will,' she returned gleefully. And then along came Nemesis in the person of the landlady. "'I'm sorry, Miss Austin,' she began, but the girl interrupted her. "'Please, Mrs. Adams,' she said pleadingly, "'don't say anything to make me sorry, too. "'Now you want to say you haven't any room for me.' But that isn't true, so you don't know what to say to get rid of me. But why do you want to get rid of me?" 
Esther Adams looked at the girl, and that look was her undoing. Such a pathetic face, such pleading eyes, such a wistful curved mouth, the landlady couldn't resist, and against her will, against her better judgment, she said, "'Well, then, stay, you poor little thing. But you must tell me more about yourself. I don't know who you are.' "'I don't know myself,' the strange girl returned. "'Do we, any of us, know who we are? "'We go through this world strangers to each other, don't we? "'And also strangers to ourselves.' "'Her eyes took on a faraway mystical look. "'If I find out who I am, I'll let you know.' "'Then a dazzling smile broke over her face.' They heard a musical rippling of laughter, and she was gone. They heard her steps as she ran upstairs to her room, and the two Adamses looked at each other. "'Daffy,' said Mrs. Adams. "'A little touched, poor child. I believe she has run away from home, or from her keepers. We'll hear the truth soon. They'll be looking for her.' "'Perhaps.' said her husband, doubtfully. But that isn't the way I size her up. She's nobody's fool, that girl. Wish you'd seen her give Bob Tyler his comeuppance. What did she say? Twasn't what she said so much as the look she gave him. He almost went through the floor. Well, she says she's a painter of scenery and landscapes. Let her stay a few days till I size her up. You size her up, returned his wife with good-natured contempt. If she smiles on you or gives you a bit of taffy talk, you'll size her up for an angel. I'm not so sure she isn't quite the opposite. Meanwhile, the subject of their discussion was arraying herself for a walk. Equipped with storm boots and fur coat, she set out to inspect Corinth. A jaunty fur cap with one long red quill feather gave her still more the appearance of an elf or gnome, and many of the Adams House boarders watched the little figure as she set forth to brave the icy streets. Apparently she had no fixed plan of procedure, for at each corner she looked about and chose her course at random. The snow had ceased during the night, and it was very cold, with a clear, sunshiny frostiness in the air that made the olive cheeks red and glowing. Reaching a bridge, she paused and stood looking over the slight railing into the frozen ravine below. Long she stood, until passers-by began to stare at her. She was unaware of this, absorbed in her thoughts and oblivious to all about her. Pinckney Payne, coming along, saw her, and as he would have expressed it, fell for her at once. "'Don't do it, sister,' he said, pausing beside her. "'Don't end your young life on this glorious day. Suicide is a mess at best. Take my advice and cut it out. She turned, ready to freeze him with a glance more icy even than the landscape, but his frank, roguish smile disarmed her. "'Freshman,' 
she said, patronizingly, but it didn't abash him. Yep, Pinkney Payne, if you must know, commonly called Pinky. I don't wonder, and she noticed his red cheeks. Well, now that you're properly introduced, tell me some of the buildings. What's that one? Dormitories. And that, pointing, is the church. Really? And that beautiful colonnade one? That's Dr. Waring's home. Him as is going to be next Prexy. And that? And that? He replied to all her questions, and kept his eyes fastened on her bewitching face. Never had Pinky seen a girl just like this. She looked so young, so merry, and yet her restless, roving eyes seemed full of hidden fire and tempestuous excitement. "'Where you from?' he said abruptly. "'Where you stayin'?' "'At Mrs. Adams,' she returned. "'Is it a good house?' "'Best in town. Awful hard to get into. Always full up. Relative of hers?' "'No, just a boarder. I chanced to get a room someone else engaged and couldn't use.' "'You're lucky. Met Bob Tyler?' "'Yes.' "'You don't like him. I see that. Met Gordon Lockwood?' "'No. Who's he?' "'He's Dr. Waring's secretary, but he's mighty worthwhile on his own account.' I say, may I come to see you? Thank you, no. I'm not receiving callers, yet. Well, you will be soon, because I'm coming. I say, my aunt lives next door to Adams's. May I bring her to call on you? Not yet, please. I'm not settled. Soon as you say the word, then. My aunt is Mrs. Bates and she's a love. She's going to marry Dr. Waring, so, you see, we're the right sort of people." "'There are no right sort of people,' said the girl, and, turning, she walked away. End of chapter 2